Welcome to the Institute of Catholic Culture, a nonprofit Catholic organization dedicated to the re-evangelization of our society through educational and cultural programs offered to the public at no charge. This and other presentations, hundreds of hours of audio, are available for free on our website, www.instituteofcatholicculture.org. There you can listen to or download educational programs related to all aspects of our divine faith, and you can review our schedule of upcoming events. We hope you can join us in person. Where to begin when delving into Islamic thought, theory, religion, theology, and so on? Well, there are more than one side to that debate. But I think that the place to start is with a principle that one sees evinced repeatedly in Islamic history. That is the principle that the cause of any loss or catastrophe is infidelity. Whenever a Muslim country loses territory, whenever the old caliphate lost territory to the West, the cause was infidelity. And the cure is always the same purer Islamism. You hear this frequently in discussions of contemporary events. Muslims will say that, oh, they are so oppressed by the successful image of the West. You don't respect us. You colonized us, you nasty people. All right, so we were there as colonial conquerors. Does that mean that we now have to have a reaction in which everything we ever stood for is reputed and rejected? Don't you think they could have learned something from us? Well, apparently that's not their view of the matter. If they suffer any loss, it's because of their own infidelity. So what they have to do is go back to the reaffirmation of the faith in stricter form. All right? Well, the fact that Islam works according to this rule is the explanation for an enormous cultural catastrophe that happened about oh, 850 or so AD. Well, no, it happened later than that. Let's go back to um, the first victories of the Christian armies in Spain, the Reconquista, yes? And then you recall that around 1000-something, we started having crusades. Some Frankish knights were sent to open up, keep open the <coughs> pilgrimage routes to the Holy Land and make sure that our pilgrims were not uh, um, robbed and so on. Well, that required military force. 
And the military force was at least temporarily successful. The result was an enormous crisis of confidence in the House of Islam. An enormous crisis of confidence. They had been hugely successful up until that time. Where had their conquests ever stopped? Well, they got over the Pyrenees, they got into the middle of Gaul. Well, yeah, it sort of petered out there, but they certainly didn't expect to ever lose any territory. Meanwhile, they had conquered all of Central Asia and uh, over to the borders of China. And th their empire was enormous. Under the Abbasid Caliphs, their empire was simply enormous. So they weren't expecting to lose anything. First thing you know, they're having trouble with the Christians resurgent in Spain, and then they're having trouble with the Crusaders. Well, what was their response to this? We haven't been faithful enough, was their response. Now, in a way, I think you will recognize a response of that kind, because it's something we sometimes hear on the Christian right. Okay? I remember all too well when the Twin Towers were bombed. Yes? And uh, a fundamentalist preacher pretty soon is on the TV and radio saying, this happened to us because of our sins. Yes. We got bombed. You know why we got bombed? It's our fault. You know why it's our fault? Because we weren't pure enough. We have too many lesbians in this society, too much unfaithfulness. God has let down his shield of protection that used to be around. You remember that stuff? Very soon after it was announced, the preachers who started had to back off and say otherwise. But it's a phenomenon that we're not entirely unfamiliar with. If we were attacked, it's really our fault. We weren't good enough. Oh, by the way, if you're ever tempted to that kind of thinking, I want you to try it on the, uh, uh, the um, fellow who went down on the way to, to Jericho and got robbed. Okay. And along came the Good Samaritan. Please notice the Good Samaritan's first question is, okay, you've been robbed. What did you do wrong? What was your sin that you got beat up this way? Come on, fess up. Instead, he bound up the man's wounds, right? Right. Okay. Um, still, this kind of response in Islam produced an enormous reaction against the best period of their history. Look, whenever you hear about the glories of Islam, the wonderful architecture, the great books, the philosophical works, the medical learning, and so on, you're talking about work that was done in the 7th and 8th, especially the 8th and 9th centuries AD. The apex of Muslim cultural achievement was under the Abbasid Caliphate. All right? Well, it now turns out that all of that cultural creativity was suspect 
and had to be corrected and reproved from the point of view of a more zealous and faithful ah, following of Muhammad, yes, and his teachers. All right. Um, what had happened? Uh, some of the details of what happened in that period of so-called cultural creativity, I don't want to call it a period of liberalism, that's a bad word, but it's a period that, uh, that is now, was now being repudiated. And the Arabs turned to very, very zealous and violent uh, military commanders, like Saladin. Saladin was not a native Arab, he was a, a Kurd. And um, just, a, just a pure military commander. And they had new commanders in, facing the, the Christians in Spain who launched a ferocious persecution. And um, persecution of more liberal thinking Muslims. All right. What had all this ferment of ideas and so on included and why? Why would anybody see infidelity in that? All right. I'm going to um, begin by asking you about a word uh, that you probably can't spell, and neither can I. Mutazilism. M-U apostrophe. T-A-Z-Z-A-L-I-S-M. Mutazilism. And the people who practice it are Mutazilites. All right. Who were the Mutazilites? From the point of view of the reaction to Islam's losses in the 10th century, the, the Mutazilites were the bad guys, the corruptors of Islam. What did they stand for? Well, yeah. Basically, that's right. The most famous contention of the Mutazilite thinkers, theologians, and so on, against the um, later triumphant group was that this book in Arabic called the Quran is a created thing. The book is created. Well, that doctrine produced a reign of horror, an explosion of horror. You can't say the Quran is the word of God. The, wo the, the word of God is not a creature. It's co-eternal with God. As though the book had always sat upon a golden pillow next to Allah's throne. There was no willingness among the so-called Orthodox to distinguish between the book and the message. You want to tell me that the message is eternally valid? I'll buy that. You want to tell me that there's an uncreated word with God, like his son, maybe? And that the Bible is a created word? I like that. But if you're going to tell me that the Bible itself is uncreated, or that the Quran itself is uncreated, I can't imagine what you're talking about. Many Islamic theologians couldn't imagine what this was talking about. How can you have an uncreated message written in uh, created letters? How does that work? So anyway, 
That was what the Mutazilites became very famous for, right off the bat. They thought it was a ridiculous form of literalism to think that the Quran was um, uncreated. Okay? Next. The Mutazilites rejected utterly the idea that God is a source of evil, that he ever produces anything evil. Hmm? Um, The... um, They were rejecting, thereby, what rapidly became the orthodox Islamic position, that every human action is produced by God. You can't resist. You will do whatever event God creates for you to take part in. Everything you do is his will. Inshallah, if God wills, I will do it. Everything you do is his will. Uh, you call that fatalism, some people do. Call, some call it predestinationism. But everything that a human being does, he is caused to do by God. Okay? Did that make man special? No. Because along with this theory about human actions, Islam developed the theory that um, every event is separately caused by God out of his own total free will. God has free will. There are no laws. No laws of physics. No laws of metaphysics. The the slogan became, God's hands are not chained. There's a verse in the Quran where it says, cursed be the Jews who say that God's hands are chained. Where did they say that? Nobody knows. But the alleged, uh, the allegation is that the Jews, by allowing God to face certain obstacles to his, quote, good pleasure, unquote, like the laws of the universe, the laws of logic, was being chained. His hands were being bound. (sighs) Well, without laws of nature, every event is made up by God as he goes along. Okay? He may seem to produce some things out of long-standing habit, but everything is just his individual decision from moment to moment what to bring about. So uh, he could turn off the law of gravity tomorrow, and we all just start floating. Huh? He could turn it back on again, we'd all fall, and then uh, we could bounce. Who says bones have to break? We could all bounce. Eh? So nothing would restrict the power of God to bring about any state of affairs he darn well pleased at any moment. Okay? 
Now that sounds pretty bad. And it is pretty bad because it makes science impossible. What's the point of studying the stars? All right, they, 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 they keep the same orbits. I mean, they yeah, observe them year after year. They don't fool around much. And the planets, well, you can trace their orbits and so on, and their constant orbits. What's the point of astronomy, however, if any night, no telling when, the whole heavens could be rolled up and all of the motions of the stars and the planets, I guess what, start it again? As though the heavenly bodies were a shiny collection of marbles with which God played and then rolled them up and played them again. So no science can predict anything, not really. Islam, therefore, is singularly um, um, poor these days in the invention of technologies. All technologies require reliance upon natural laws, whether it's simple ones like the astrolabe or complicated ones like the water wheel, whatever. At one time, Islam was fruitful in these inventions, and then, bingo, the curtain comes down, time for inventions is over, trying to predict anything on a scientific basis, independent of the will, moment by moment, of Allah, is blasphemous. All right, now let me get back off of this business about predictability of events and so on. Let me get back to human actions. Um, I think you all would agree with me if you said, well, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. If God makes us do, just directly causes us to do everything we ever do, then what becomes of responsibility? Hmm? I'm not guilty of anything if God made me do it, right? Willy-nilly, God made me do it, so I'm not responsible. I mean, I don't have to take any blame for that, right? Okay. To fight this aspect of what would soon become complete Arab orthodoxy, the Mutazilites insisted on free will. They said there is no such thing as a predestination to a bad end. God is not the, ever the author of evil. If you do an evil act, it's your doing, not God's. Okay? If you do an evil act, it's your doing, not God's. Now remember, Islam has no doctrine of grace, whereby we can say, well, but there's a sense in which everything we do right is helped along by God or made possible by God's grace. But they, they, they don't have the wherewithal to say that. But still, they would have the wherewithal to say that um, we are the authors of our own sins. We're responsible for them, not God. How many agree with that judgment, by the way? So, you know, this is something for which 
we would think that Motazolites were kind of on the right side of it. Yeah. Oh, dear. The reply was, if you think people have a special power, thanks to which they can oppose the will of God, then, if a man does evil, he's using that power, contrary to what was, would have been the will of God. Huh? And so, you are a proponent of dualism, like the Zoroastrian Magi. This was the reply that the Orthodox hurled at the Mutazites. You are dualists. You believe in another power that can resist God, power of human free will. Oi! Two powers in the universe, that's dualism. And so we end up with this miserable situation. The attempt to defend something like free will was shot down as challenging the all-perfect sovereignty of God. Whereupon the doctrine of moral responsibility has to be sacrificed. Does everybody see the problem? I'll give you another problem. Um, why would you, uh, if, if you were a, a Muslim during the creative era, when the great discoveries were, why, why would you borrow anything from uh, pagan architects? Why would you take any ideas from the Greeks? Why would you raise questions about the governance of the Islamic Empire? Do you think there is something you can learn from these foreigners? Don't you know that God has made your religion complete for you. That's in the Quran. And what it has been taken to mean is that between the Quran and the traditions, Islam already contains every normative matter that will ever arise. There's nothing to learn anywhere else. Okay? The all-sufficiency of the Sharia. Let me read you a quotation on this subject from this lovely book, Islam Unveiled, which I recommend to those of you who haven't read it yet. Ha, 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 ha. Abdul Qadar Abdul Aziz tells us, the Sharia is perfect in itself, and needs no augmentation 
by puny human legal theories. The quote goes on. The perfection of the Sharia means it is not in need for any of the previous abrogated religions, Islam, Christianity, or any human experiences, like the man-made laws or any other philosophy. Therefore, one who claims that the Muslims are in need of any such canons is considered to be a kafir, an unbeliever. For he belied Allah's saying, this day I have completed your religion for you. Quran, Surah 5, verse 3. Also, Surah 19, verse 64, should be quoted, which says, Your Lord is never forgetful. Ha. Put the two verses together. I completed your religion for you. I never forget anything. So everything you need to be told to a religion is in the book and in the sayings of the prophet that I have authorized. All right? All, it's all in there. Listen to this. We got this, this guy going on. Abdul Qadr Abdul Aziz is not quite finished entertaining us yet. Listen to this. Equal in kufr, which is disbelief, is the one who claims that Muslims are in need of the system of democracy or communism or any other ideology without which the Muslims lived and applied the rules of Allah in matters that faced them for 1,400 years. Unquote. Okay? You see, if you think any idea about uh, rightful representation, the consent of the governed, uh, about human rights, political rights not heretofore recognized, anything you think we could learn about that stuff. Um, is a sign of your unbelief in the mind of a Muslim. We don't need any of that. We were given the perfect model of a human being in the prophet and the perfect model of a community in his disciples. He is the perfect man. He's the model man. Everything he did is wonderful. Oh, and in Muhammad's last sermon, last sermon, he's alleged to have said, I leave behind me two things, the Quran and my example in the tradition, in the Sunnah. If you adhere to these, you can never go wrong. Unquote. Infallible example. And in the eyes of uh, Muslim extremists, um, it's an example which cannot be added to or supplemented or nuanced in any way. Now, let me ask you this. Think about this. Do, do you think that Christianity is a complete religion? And was, it, was it finished for us 
by Christ on the cross by the Holy Spirit, talking in the New Testament, was it finished? Do I see any heads being shaken? Of course it was finished. Christ revealed everything we needed to know for our salvation. Didn't hold any of it back. He didn't say, oh, wait, I got another guy coming a thousand years from now. No, 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 no. Everything we needed to know for our salvation was complete and finished in the work of Jesus Christ and the sending of the Holy Spirit. Okay? Everything after that is just development. The crossing of I's, the dotting of T's, the drawing of inferences. That's what we do in theology. We draw inferences. But the message itself is finished. The gospel is complete. Our religion is complete. Okay. Does it occur to you then that um, uh, you can't read the Declaration of Independence without blasphemy? What do you think you're going to read in that declaration? Either it's already in the Bible or it's a lie. Yes. If it's already in the Bible, we don't need it. If it's a lie, we don't want it. Does everybody see? This is insanity. But this idea that Sharia is so complete, it cannot be added to, cannot be supplemented, cannot need any nuance from any outside source. Ah! Does everybody see it's the death of Islamic civilization? It's a killer idea, literally. Okay? It kills any fruitful borrowing from any source. Now, do most Muslims look at the matter this way? No. Most of them are grown-ups and have more sense. But all of them, every once in a while, you get a bunch of wild kids full of this stuff, and they start committing mass murder in two or three countries. Okay? Because they think they've already learned everything pertaining to human perfection. But what, political theory, come on, what, what did you learn about political theory from the Quran? Answer nothing. But from the Sunnah, from the tradition of Muhammad, you learn that the Prophet appointed a leader for prayer. That was Abu Bakr. And Abu Bakr then became the first caliph. And look, do you think, do you think affairs among men should be organized the way God organizes his heaven that sound about right? Or do you think we should have rival rules down here? No, it should be as God organizes heaven, right? All right, next to God, who's the, who's the second? Who's the vice God? Who's the third branch of government up there? There is none. The divine government is an absolute autocracy. Thank you very much. And now that's the pattern of all good human government. We don't need anything else. You didn't know that, did you? You thought you could, you know, read Jefferson. 
You see, you are incautious. Yes. And your sins are about to catch up with you. The true, the true disciples of Muhammad will slit your gizzard if you don't watch out. So there it is. Human rights, the very idea of human rights has been repudiated by Islamic spokesmen. It's a Western idea with no grounding whatsoever in Islamic law, in Sharia. Look, in Sharia, what is a human right? No such thing. There are the rights of the believers, and then there are the rights of the tolerated unbelievers, the dhimmis. You have the rights of a believer or you have the rights of a dhimmi. There isn't anything else. If you are a polytheist, don't count as a dhimmi, you don't have a tolerated false religion, you have no rights at all. None. You are to be slaughtered. If you are in one of the protected religions like Judaism or Christianity, well, it's, um, <laughs> your rights are there on paper. And uh, getting them, getting them actuated is going to be a problem. Do you all know about um, the, um, the Turkish Janissaries? Yeah. These were Christian kids taken from their home villages, made slaves, forcibly converted to Islam, and then trained as warriors for the Sultan, his most ferocious warriors. You think you have a right to your children? Watch out. The Sultan may say otherwise. All right, well, look, I could go on for hours, and I don't think um, you need that, and I certainly don't think I need it. I think we've covered enough points for this evening to show why Islam has become intellectually sterile, repudiated its own best examples of the past, bent itself into a distorted shape, which makes its future, I think, even dimmer than its past has been. Thank you very much. Professor, can a devout Muslim who fully accepts Sharia law make a valid oath of allegiance to be a citizen of the United States? In my opinion, yes. Yeah, I would think so. Because um, he is open as many of the rest of us are to say, uh, yeah, Sharia is my religious ideal. But I am here in America. I'm grateful to this country. I support its government. Okay? And um, I don't feel bad about that because I'm the kind of Catholic who used to be in a similar position. Okay? Yes. 
I believed in the restoration of Christendom. I wanted the Holy Roman Empire back. Right. And we want to restore the Stuarts to the throne. Never mind. You get the picture. It's, it, you know, you can, uh, there are degrees to which you can divide your political commitments, duties, from higher religious ideals. If Muslims believe in predestination, then why, if someone steals, would they cut their hand off if Allah made them do it? Well, Allah is perfectly just in willing punishments. Yes. The punishments have to be there. Yes. I mean, in a way, um, you're asking a very mutazilite question. You know, if, I mean, if, if Allah made you do it, why should we punish you? But uh, the Orthodox would say no. Um, there is an objective. There are objective punishments for objective crimes. And uh, they must be enforced. Yeah. I've been a, a critic of uh, Robert, R. Robert Riley's book, Closing of the Muslim Mind on the Metazolites, because uh -huh. it, it basically highlights how a Westerner who is Christian, at least um, culturally, would like to see Islam as, it would, as a Westerner would like to see it. But I rather found that if you looked at Islam at the time and you looked at what its doctrinal drivers were, that the Metazolite movement was wrong. And yep. when Al-Ghazali shut it down, you read his books and you read what Islam said as opposed to what Maimonides was doing with Judaism yep. or Aquinas was doing with the Christian church in the Middle Ages. You're absolutely right. Ghazali was right. Al-Ghazali was right about lots of things and the Mutazilites were wrong about lots of things. Um, let me take a subject that I completely forgot to mention tonight. Um, the Muslims could never come to a satisfactory philosophical resolution of how God could have many titles, could verify many titles and yet be utterly simple? Could he be just and merciful without being in some way too, etc.? The Mutazilites got rid of the problem by saying, all right, let's just say that God has no attributes. He has no no attributes. Well, if God has no attributes, he's not just. He's not merciful. He's not wise. He doesn't have any attributes at all. He may as well be the great void in the sky. So in that respect, Mutazilism was a disaster and would have been if it hadn't been shut down. In another respect, also, the Mutazilites were on the wrong side. One of the early disputes in Islam was whether you could distinguish uh, committing a sin from apostatizing from the faith. Remember, uh, the Islamic religion is more a religion of doing than we think. There are commandments. You have to walk in the commandments. It's not so much a religion of doctrines to be believed, although there are some, but it's, it's a matter of doing as you're told, doing the, fulfilling the commandments of God. Suppose you don't. Does that amount to apostasy? If you commit a major sin, does that mean you are subject to the same death penalty 
as a professed apostate? Mutazilites said yes. And on that point, they were on the same side as those nuts I was mentioning last week, the uh, Karajites, extremists. Ali wasn't quite perfect enough, off with his head. Yeah, it's very much a mixed bag. I mean, um, let me make this remark yet. I don't know if if this is going to be over too many people's heads, but I want you to imagine what would have happened in Christianity if the very first generation of converts we had, who included some philosophically trained people, had not been people who were really open to the gospel, like Justin Martyr, but people like Hegel. Huh? Then you would have had so-called Christian philosophers whose only contribution to theological discussion was to say how much couldn't possibly be taken literally. It would be, it would be modernism from the first century AD, in effect. That's an utter misfortune for Islam. That, that was the state with Al-Kindi, several of the early Islamic philosophers, they were um, deniers of truths that should not have been denied literally enough. And as a result, you get um, a, a poisonous skepticism against which Al-Ghazali quite correctly rebelled. But then Al-Ghazali is a masterful uh, proponent of this blasted occasionalism that makes God himself by his own pure will the cause of everything. So it's, it's bad medicine all the way around. Dr. Marshall, two questions coming in online um, from two different people. Uh, Steve asking, do Muslims believe that human beings are made in the image and likeness of God? If we are not, why not? Oh. And then uh, a second question coming from Ginger Hand in Maryland asking, why the devotion to Mary? Oh, Okay. Uh, let's take those in reverse order because the first one's quicker. The devotion to Mary comes from the fact that Jesus is mentioned in the Quran and is praised and hailed as the great prophet before Muhammad. He wasn't, the, he wasn't divine, but he was uh, the next greatest prophet before Muhammad. And uh, so his mother is honored and uh, uh, Muhammad appreciated the kind words of Jesus about his mother. So there's room for a little bit of Marian devotion uh, in the Islamic um, writings. As to whether they believe that man is made in the image and likeness of God, the answer is absolutely no. Okay? They do not have a good doctrine of, of um, what is the word I want, um, analogy. They do not have a clear-headed doctrine of analogy. They think that (coughs) if we say that man was made in the image of God, then God must have a body as man has. Okay? And we're becoming, and they maintain that the whole idea that we are in God's image makes us too close to God. God is just infinitely distant and transcendent. He doesn't love us. He doesn't need us. 
He doesn't care all that much about us. It's no injury to him. But he is good, he's merciful, and so he tells us some truths and la-di-da, and our job is to obey. But there's, there's, there's no uh, devotion in Islam based on the love of God. You have a few poets who say things like that, but the theologians don't. Okay? Thank you very much, Dr. Mershner. We hope you enjoyed this presentation from the Institute of Catholic Culture. If you'd like to learn more about the mission of the Institute and how you may become a part of this important work, please visit our website at www.instituteofcatholicculture.org or call us at 540-635-7155. And may the glory of Christ Church be ever more manifest upon the earth. St. John the Evangelist. Pray for us.